And this is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and streaming live on the Internet at KUCI.org. I am Tani Tinuviel, the resident KUCI Middle Earth Elf, coming up in just a few moments. What would Arwen do? Amazing music. Wow. From Howard Shore Academy Award winning music from The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. <clears throat> Takes us right back to Rivendell. Yeah, just where we really want to be. <laughs> Absolutely. I would always love to be in Rivendell. You are listening to KUCI in Irvine, Orange County's alternative radio station and quite possibly the best radio station in the history of Middle-earth. I am Tani Tenuviel, the resident KUCI Middle-earth elf. Welcome to What Would Arwen Do? on every Tuesday from 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. And how can else can they listen, dear Hobbit co-host? Well, this is Milo Lomsdown at your service, Elf Princess, and there is many ways. There is KUCI-FM Irvine, which broadcasts at 88.9 megahertz, whatever that is, <laughs> live here in Orange County, California. Also, worldwide, you can listen live at KUCI.org on the Internet, and I'll be saying hello later to some friends that are listening live. We stream 24 by 7, as we have for many, many years, among the first radio stations in the universe to be on the Internet 24 by 7. And you can listen to us after the fact. If you want to download us to your iPod or other MP3 player of choice, we podcast at KUCITalk.org. And you can also find us on iTunes. Simply search for Arwen, A-R-W-E-N, and you can download the free podcast there as well for our program, what would Arwen do? Well, the wonders of modern technology, ways to keep us connected with all of our friends all over the earth. <clears throat> Many people can listen here in Orange County. We broadcast to most of Orange County from here at the University of California in Irvine. But uh, in case you aren't within those 200 watts, or sometimes like myself, I have to, I'm an elf who lives in kind of a hilly area down by the beach, so sometimes the reception is a little sketchy can always just go to my trusty computer. And listen live. And listen live. <clears throat> so, my Govanin and Suilite, to everyone who is listening live and online, if you are tuning in for the very first time, you may be wondering what this show is all about. Well, if a Middle-Earth elf lived today in Southern California, in Irvine to be more precise, what might her life look like? How would she, as a modern elf, celebrate and support the arts, music, her community, and the preservation of Earth, its beauty, resources, and creatures? Some people like to ask, what would Jesus do? And that is a very good question. But on this program, when challenges in life arise, or as the wizard Gandalf puts it, questions, questions that need answering, 
We like to ask, what would Arwen do? <clears throat> Who was Arwen, you may be wondering. In J.R.R. Tolkien's mythology of Middle-earth, Arwen was an elf princess, the daughter of Elrond, a prince among elves and lord of Rivendell, a magical place of healing, lore, and wisdom, perhaps not unlike the community here at UC Irvine. Arwen was also a beloved daughter of the universe, as are all the women of this fair celestial home called Earth, or an elvish Arda. I believe Arwen understood the principle of noblesse oblige. With great privilege comes responsibility. She embodied the archetype of a true princess of the light through her courage, wisdom, beauty, her sense of humor, and her service to others. In Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings, A Guide to Middle-Earth, Colin Durias wrote, In his invented mythology of Middle-Earth, Tolkien intended that his elves were an extended metaphor of a key aspect of human nature. This, quote, elven quality in human life was a central preoccupation of Tolkien's. Elves, like dwarves, hobbits, and the like, partially represent human beings. In Tolkien's mythology, elves represent what is high and noble in humans. In particular, they represent the arts in their highest form, work done in the image of God and his created world. As an elf, I believe this elven quality exists today in every living person and yearns for expression through gifts of creativity, nobility, and service to others. So what do you think, dear Hobbit friend? I, I believe it's all true. <laughs> well, we see that uh, with the marriage of Aragorn and Arwen, and, you know, the days of Middle-earth predate regular human history, right. that, the, that the strain of elvendom and of actually angelic strain um, came in to, um, to enrich the lives of men. So welcome, Ellen Dali, Ellen Salalumin, Amentielvo, a star shines on the hour of our meeting. And um, I think it would be a good time right now here on What Would Arwen Do to say hello to a little shout-out to some of our very special friends who might be listening. Well, I certainly need to say hello to Roy and Chez in Cleveland. They may or may not be listening, but they're old, old, old friends of The Hobbit, have known them for many, many years, and... Roy lives in Cleveland, Ohio, that far distant place by the magnificent large Lake Erie. <laughs> and Chez is visiting him from Northern California, where he has lived for many years. Both of them scientists and engineers by training. I'd like to say hello to Chuck and Donna up in Los Angeles, Martin in Toronto, and my nieces and nephews who listen on podcast. And again, you can get our podcast by either going to KUCITalk.org or going to the iTunes store and searching for Arwen, A-R-W-E-N, and you will see our podcast for What Would Arwen Do? Wonderful. And I would like to just uh, say a special hello, sui lied, and elvish greetings to anyone who may be listening here in, well, Ro, who may be listening from Escondido. I don't know, she may be off on one of her um, kayaking or um, canoeing adventures this week. 
But uh, I know that Vana and Guru are listening from up in Washington. Wonderful. The wonders of the Internet. And I want to say yes, a very special hello to them because they have been such an inspiration to me. True elves. <laughs> these, are, these are people who they met through a Tolkien message board and uh, fell in love. And they, have, they, do, um, they go to those um, like Renaissance fairs and the... What is that one organization where they do the, um, um, it has a certain acronym and I can't think of it, SCA, the Society of Creative Creative Anachronisms. Anachronisms, The Society for Creative Anachronisms. Yes. SCA. And Guru is an amazing harp player. I got to meet them both at the gathering, uh, which was, you know, up in Toronto for the uh, premiere of Return of the King. Oh, my gosh. Go to their lovely home um, a few years ago for a Tolkien Society convention. And Vanna and I danced in the moonlight under the stars, under the full moon at midnight on their front lawn while Guru played the harp. He comes from a whole family of harp players. So My gosh. It was quite an elvish ex- uh, adventure. <clears throat> and they got married, and so I wanted to say a very special hello to them um, because this month would be their third year anniversary. Well, congratulations, <laughs> congratulations, congratulations. And you just never know where your adventures will take you, you know. You never know just going onto a message board who you might meet and then, you know, perhaps meet in person, you know, thinking you'll be friends. Ro and I met through the message board and she's like a sister to me. And imagine all it took, all it took was a little bit of bravery, a little bit of saying, well, Let's take a little chance. Let's spend just a little time and then look at the wonderful adventures you've developed out of this, just that little bit of time. Oh, yes. And I will say also for myself, before I went on to uh, Torque, which is my, theonering.com, which is my favorite website, only because it's, and I love Torn. I've, I've <clears throat> been on Torn, too. I love it for movie news and things that's go- that are going on. But for community of people that just love the works of J.R. Tolkien, and um, we have a whole community of people that just come together and talk and, and share about things that are going on in their lives, it's wonderful, um, too, because no matter what time of the day, if you get up, wake up at 11 o'clock at night and you can't sleep, <laughs> you can go on the message board. There's always someone there to just say, hey, I'm here, you know, I can't sleep either, you know, and then you just, you know, talk a little bit. And it's just nice to know that you're not alone in the middle of the night when you can't sleep. Absolutely. So that uh, URL is http colon slash slash com. Yes. Tremendous number of message boards and community of conversations occurring there 24 by 7. And we have wonderful things coming up. We have the movie news coming up. We have El- Elvish and Hobbit adventure reports. And then we will be talking about the trees. But I wanted to dedicate a special song for Vana and Guru. <laughs> From the Fellowship, the musical parody of the Fellowship of the Ring, and this is the song. It's sung by Arwen and Aragorn. Wonderful. The lovers. The lovers, and it's called One Moment With You, and I'm so excited. I'm really hoping that as we get closer to uh, the time of the Hobbit movies coming out and more of a resurgence of interest in all things Tolkien, that uh, this will be playing again at different places. It is such a hilarious, hilarious play. So here we have Arwen and Aragorn with One Moment With You, KCI in Irvine. 
from the fellowship. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> the musical parody of The Fellowship of the Ring. And it was such a delightful play. And unfortunately, it got shut down because of, you know, copyright issues for characters of... Uh, you know, Lord of the Rings and everything. Right. But it, it ran for a while. I was very um, pl- privileged and blessed to get to see it up in L.A. Uh, while it was still out. And they have reprised it a couple of times with permission. Right. Um, it, was, it was down in San Diego at the time. So hopefully it will be coming out again. That was directed by Joel McCrary. Um, I guess there's a book by Kelly Holden and Joel McCrary. Music by Ellen Simpson. Lyrics by everybody. And um, so, again, that's Fellowship, the musical parody of the Fellowship of the Ring, the original cast recording. And um, that was dedicated to Vana and Guru in honor of their third anniversary coming up this month. So, dear Hobbit friend, you know, I love, I love um, all things. Tolkien just inspires so much fun you know the music that he inspired the movies he's inspired the, the great art. song cycle the yes. road goes over on the song cycle by donald swan yes and the the music the the art i've seen so many you know beautiful um, pieces of art and illustration you know the sculpture Yes. Jewelry. Jewelry, absolutely. I even have my elvish pottery, which I love. All my pottery with little elvish things on them. So, um, and we love, it's always, I love that it's okay to make fun of things, especially in, in this parody, because you really had the sense when you were there that these people loved the work of J.R. Tolkien, and they were just having a great, a great deal of fun. So, let's get to, let's put on a little bit of Hobbit music here. And jump right into, because I'm hoping that you're going to say that we do, in fact, have some um, Hobbit, uh, Hobbit movie news. Oh, absolutely. But before we do the Hobbit movie news, mm-hmm. I would like to read a little bit from the letters. You had, you had indicated that it would be interesting to hear some of the background. And this letter, number 163 in the letters of J.R.R. Tolkien, edited by Humphrey Carpenter, uh, with assistance by his son Christopher Tolkien. This letter was written to W.H. Auden, the Mm -hmm. great, great poet, on the June 7th of 1955. Because we've talked a little bit about, you know, what is The Hobbit going to look like? You know, it, it it was a book for children, um, the Lord of the Rings was not, but, you know, we'd mentioned before that J.R.R. Tolkien himself kind of said, you know, he really kind of was sorry that it had been, you know, intended as a children book. And yeah. you, Elf Princess, were able to find the citation here in the letters that we allude to whenever we mention this fact in thinking about what Peter Jackson and Guillermo del Toro are doing in the reimagining of The Hobbit as two films, not just one. Because mm-hmm. one could argue that The Hobbit, the book itself, is deserving of maybe just one film. But we know two are being made. Principle of Photography is ongoing. They're on a break right now, but they'll be resuming by the end of this month. Well, from this letter to W.H. Auden, we have this. Though the first real story of this imaginary world, almost fully formed as it now appears, was written in prose during sick leave at the end of 1916, at the end of 1916 it was called The Fall of Gondolin, which I had the cheek to read to the Exeter College Essay Club in 1918. 
I wrote a lot else in hospitals before the end of the First World War. I went on after return, but when I attempted to get any of this stuff published, I was not successful. The Hobbit was originally quite unconnected, though it inevitably got drawn into the circumference of the greater construction, and in the event modified it. It was unhappily really meant, as far as I was conscious, as a children's story, and as I had not learned since then, and my children were not quite old enough to correct me, it has some of the silliness of manner caught unthinkingly from the kind of stuff I had served me, as Chaucer may catch a minstrel tag. I deeply regret them. So do intelligent children. (laughs) He continues on later. My work did not evolve into a serious work. It started like that. The so-called children's story, The Hobbit, was a fragment torn out of an already existing mythology. Insofar as it was dressed up as for children, in style or manner, I regret it. So do the children. (laughs) (laughs) So I believe that we have the foundation, clear authorization, Mm -hmm. basically, from Tolkien. And in other letters and other writings, he says that he expects his tales to be mounted as, as plays, as maybe even films. Mm-hmm. So he was conscious of that. Absolutely. So speaking of the films, we have the Hobbit movies are being recorded. And again, I want to mention something I mentioned last week, mm-hmm. but bears are mentioning is my favorite website is thewondering.net, which mm-hmm. has a lot of news items of all things Tolkien on it. Of course, there's a whole section just on the Hobbit movie. But one of the funny things, one of the fascinating things about Comic-Con, the great convention that was recently concluded in San Diego, where Peter Jackson made a shocking and stunning unexpected appearance in person from New Zealand, one of the, one of the great things was the first seminar Thursday morning was an extended panel on The Hobbit. And four parts of that have been posted to YouTube. So again, I would urge our listeners to go to http colon slash slash net and look for the four parts of their panel discussion. They, they broke it into four YouTube videos, and it's just fascinating. So let's go on to new stuff. Something that I found out is there is a whole complex, wonderful site devoted to Arthur and Oakenshield, who is Richard Armitage. It's www.richardarmitage.com. Net.com, RichardArmitageNet.com, all one long word. And it has a lot of interesting stuff about Richard Armitage, his past work, his current work. And I urge people to look at it. It's, it's very good. Certainly McKellen.com, Sir Ian McKellen's blog, mm-hmm. which is seldom updated, but when it is updated, it's got some very juicy things. Is a great site. TheOneRing.com for discussions. TheOneRing.net for news. But now we have richardarmitagenet.com. It's worth looking at. Andy Serkis has been in the news a lot recently because he's starring in the big hit movie Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Well, he talked to Orlando Sentinel, and if you go to orlandosentinel.com, you'll see that newspaper's interview with him. Andy Serkis, who, of course, reprises his role as Gollum from Lord of the Rings in the new Hobbit movies, says, quote, The most important thing to remember about performance capture is that it is only a technology. It's a more evolved one now. Great minds have gone into creating it. But it's just a tool, and actually quite a simple one. It's just one other way of recording an actor's performance, much like a film camera, only truly in 3D. In terms of acting, though, if you're playing a highly stylized character whose physicality is the first thing on your mind, 
There's a whole acting language that you have to learn. But the core principles of playing a role, the psychology, the emotional content of a role, is no different. I have never, ever drawn a distinction between playing a live-action role and playing a performance capture role. Mm. Isn't that just tremendously, tremendously fascinating? I, I found that very interesting. And uh, I got to see, you mentioned last um last week or whenever it was maybe the week before about the the two new production videos that peter jackson has uh, graciously made for us fans oh my and, gosh these um, are production videos from the the sets of the hobbit movie making and one of the things that was uh in the little um video blog was the uh it talks about Andy Serkis, you know, being the, for the first time in the cave with uh, Bilbo and, he, you know, just trying to kind of get into it. But it was amazing seeing him moving around in that cave with, with all this motion capture um, stuff like, you know, attached to him all over. You know, it's like all these little probes and things. Um, but, you know, just amazing. And, of course, you know, with the um, Planet of the Apes coming out this week, which I've only seen the previews so far, but already just seeing the the facial expressions of Caesar, you know, which is the main agent, which, you know, Andy Serkis plays. I can hardly wait to see the movie. It's, it's, uh, it's something that is very much to be looked forward to. One other little piece of item before we move on is Luke Evans, who is our Bard the Bowman in the new movie. Mm-hmm. Luke Evans was quoted recently as saying, I know nothing. There's a 90-second video clip of him at EmpireOnline.com. He has no script. He only knows the book. He has not had archery lessons. He's shooting another movie currently. This is the reason, because he's busy with another film, and he's got one more week of shooting. And then he flies to New Zealand and gets involved in the Hobbit movies. And so I thought that was funny. There's also a little item, if you're interested in going to stuff.co.nz, the New Zealand uh, current happenings website stuff.co.nz has a wonderful little item about orlando bloom went shopping and some shoppers noticed him and said could we take our picture with you and he said sure very very friendly he was dressed casually and he was you know just very very friendly for these people and it's just nice to know that the cast are are real human beings Yes, and I think we saw that first, you know, with the Lord of the Rings movies, the cast always made themselves so accessible, and they were so, so wonderful to the fans, and it's just delightful to see how that is coming together again with this new cast. I have to say, seeing the radio blogs, and if you could give the website again uh, for people, if they would like to go and see those those little uh, radio blogs, Peter Jackson's blog site. So, so uh, the video blogs that uh, really video production updates, as they're called, the video production updates, go to facebook.com slash NZ, as in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Peter Jackson NZ is the particular uh, directory there. So facebook.com slash Peter Jackson NZ. All word, all one word, no dashes, spaces, underscores, or anything else. And just amazing. Uh, yes, a few little spoilers. We do get to see. Yes, let's tell the listeners. Beautiful um, dress. And you get to see how the dwarves look and yes. some of their characterization. You get to see what Bilbo looks like mm-hmm. you get to see the cave and if you don't want to see any of that there aren't really any plot spoilers but there's sort of visual spoilers mm-hmm. in there um so uh and so think about elrond it. elrond's looking 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 wonderful and we see elrond and 
Galadriel oh my um, gosh. in costume together. So it makes you wonder if they're going to be in Rivendell together. And of course, um, it was interesting because I, you know, I came across this little thing about, you know, me. I'm ever, ever hopeful that uh, Liv Tyler is somehow going to uh, show up <laughs> in these movies. And I came across this thing that you had shared with me, you know, several weeks ago from in June, uh, from Win.com, that you know where it mentions that Liv wanted to uh, reteam with her Lord of the Rings castmates, and. Um, that uh, she says that so far she's been left out of the lineup for Peter Jackson's new epic adventure. Tyler admits seeing the rest of the Lord of the Rings cast get back together has made her long for a cameo role. She tells Britain's Daily Express, quote, I've seen some of the other actors. I had such an amazing time making those films. I wish that I could be in it. So those of us who love Liv Tyler, love Liv Tyler as Arwen, and of course Arwen, um, even though Aragorn was just a toddler at the time. Right. Um, Arwen was several thousand years old already. So, so there's no reason why she couldn't be. And wouldn't would it be, a, be? She would not be much changed. Wouldn't it be a wonderful surprise if the first audience there for the movie The Hobbit, when it premieres December 14th, 2012, that Friday, probably going to be Thursday midnight screenings all over the United States, but wouldn't it be wonderful if you see Leave Tyler just sort of show up there in the movie yes. for a bit? Uh, who knows? I mean, who knows? There's, there's. I know, mean, Peter Jackson said he wasn't going to Comic Con, and then he shows up. Right. You know. And he's he said that she 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 does not have that is Arwen does not have a part in the new m- movie, and. Liv Tyler is quoted broadly in many sources as saying how much she'd like to do it, but as has not been involved. So, but a lot of times, you know, sometimes see. not just not, not a part. You know, we sometimes we just have like a little cameo thing. So it's possible for there to be a silent cameo. Even yeah. many things are possible. Yes. So um, I'm very excited. Um, let's see, from here, where we are we going on to our, our adventure reports? I thought, before we get into more about the trees, that we should talk about adventure reports. Mm-hmm. How would you like to talk about yours? You talk about yours first, because mine has to do with the trees. Ah, okay, so we'll get into that whole so thing what later. what adventures have you had, Hobbit adventures, have you had this last week? Well, I've had lots of fascinating adventures, but the one I want to mention to you is I went to see Captain America oh. with one of my nieces, Felicia. And Felicia suggested this, and I said, well, I'm really eager to see it because Hugo Weaving is one of the co-stars. He plays the Red Skull, the bad guy. He's sort of a a Nazi commander who withdraws from the Third Reich and forms his own group called Hydra. Oh, (laughs) And it's, it's very interesting. It's like an offshoot of the SS. In any case, Captain America, the first Avenger, is really quite an entertaining film but what it gives us as what it gives us as tolkien fans and people looking forward to the two hobbit movies coming out we know that hugo weaving will have a fairly small role but a significant role as elrond yes as opposed to captain america where he is the co-star he has a very very big role yes on the other hand, Richard Armitage, who appears in a small but significant role in Captain America, is one of the two main characters in The Hobbit. The two main characters being Bilbo, the, the Hobbit, mm-hmm. 
and Thorin Oakenshield, the leader of the dwarves. So we see Richard Armitage at the beginning of Captain America, the first Avenger, as a Nazi agent. He plays Heinz Kruger, which anyone who's read the comic books knows the name. He is a, a horrible Nazi secret agent. And he is Captain America's first foe. Mm-hmm. And Richard Armitage does a very, very good job with the role. A lot of silent acting. Mm-hmm. So there are scenes where you just see him, you know, sitting there looking sort of mysterious. And then when he delivers his lines in that beautiful voice of his, it's it's a revelation. So mm-hmm. we have riches to look forward to at the end of next year. Oh, my goodness. So many wonderful things coming up. And, of course, you know, um, Tintin, which will be coming out in... Um, Andy Circus plays the captain in Tintin, which comes out this Christmas, a, a, an entire movie made with motion capture. Mm-hmm. And it was very interesting that at, at uh, Comic-Con, of course, you know, Peter Jackson shows up unexpectedly, and... Uh, Andy Serkis ends up coming up to ask one of the first questions. But I loved, as I was reading, I loved this comment that um, that Peter Jackson makes about working with Steven Spielberg. Did you see that? It, it was just very funny. It says, um, early in the presentation, Spielberg asked the crowd at the beginning of the presentation how many in the crowd had ever read a Tintin book and seemed relieved at the amount of applause. That makes my job easier, he said. Uh, he said he hoped that the film could kick off a new franchise. Um, it's up to you. If you all declare it's worth seeing, then Peter gets to direct the next one, he said. And, J- and Jackson quickly jumped in. So go see it, because I want to make my Tintin film. Please, please. But one of the things that uh, Peter Jackson said when he first got up there, he said, then Peter Jackson himself took the stage. Working with Stephen has been amazing, Jackson said, deadpan. I think the show... Uh, I think he shows real promise. If he decides to stick with filmmaking, I think he could really go places. <laughs> yes, yes. And, of course, this this whole conversation was just hilarious because yeah. the second Tintin film is already committed. It's financed. I mean, it would take... Oh, with Peter Jackson as a director? Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's all... It's all over except the opening day receipts. The only, <laughs> the only question is how many millions of dollars is Tintin going to make the opening weekend? That's the only question. I mean, there's always a slim chance in the history of movies. There have been some films that have opened much, much less than what they were pre- predicted. But this is Steven Spielberg. Yeah. I no, I don't, I, don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. And Steven Spielberg and Peter Jackson and Andy. I mean, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> so we, we, we shall see what we up. shall see. Lots of fun things. What about your adventure report? My adventure report. So last week, um, unfortunately, you did not get to be in studio here with me, but I was, I'm very grateful that you called in. And in case anyone is just tuning in, this is What Would Arwen Do? On uh, Tuesday afternoons, 4 to 5 p.m. on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. And if you would like to email us, we would love to hear from us. You can send us an email at askanelf, A-S-K-A-N-E-L. Askanelf at yahoo.com. And uh, if you've missed part of the show and you'd like to catch the rest, you can catch the rest when? Well, we upload the podcast on Wednesdays. So yeah. by Wednesday night, you should be able to get both both today's show as well as last week's show. Great. And last week's show uh, was wonderful because I got to interview Andrea Harris, who is the uh, d- um, director for the Richard 
M. Doyle Arts Pavilion at o- Orange Coast College. And um, were you were you in with the interview with me for that? Or were Unfortunately, you? I had to drop off. Okay, okay. Well, this is part of the Speak for the Trees exhibit, which is actually going on now in three different venues. And um, Andrea has, there's uh, 30, I think there's 38 artists right now that are over at Orange Coast College. That exhibit is going through the end of this week, I believe. I think I have the dates here in this uh, article from Coast Magazine. And um, I was so excited because I got to talk to her. It was just one of those serendipitous things where I just happened to notice on the kitchen counter a, a paper upside down with the words that read, speak for the trees <laughs> mm. and I was able to call her and get over there to the exhibit that day in the process I found out about another venue uh, two other venues actually um, one at Scape Gallery right here in uh, Croner Del Mar and that will be okay the exhibit at Orange Coast College goes through August 12th so I guess it goes through the end of this week and um the phone number there is 714-432-5102. Their website, ocartspavilion.com. I'm sorry, occartspavilion.com. <clears throat> and then the other venues that um, Speak for the Trees will be um, presented are, one is at Escape Gallery, which is in Corona del Mar. It's also the home where our lovely Barbara DeMarco Barrett, who... Uh, hosts with um, her co-host Marie, St- Marie Stone on Wednesday mornings, Writers on Writing. A wonderful program, a wonderful talk show about writers and writing and publishers and getting published. Yes, and she has a salon generally every month. I think in the summer she's skipping uh, August, so the next one will be in September and um, has wonderful agents, authors, um, people in publishing there. I got to see um, and interact with Carolyn C., who that was one of her f- last uh, public appearances that she announced that she would be making. was just wonderful. They were at Scape Gallery, which is at 2859 East Coast Highway in Corona Del Mar. Their website is scapesite.com, S-C-A-P-E-S-I-T-E.com. And Jeannie Den- Denholm is the owner and a curator there, and she is going to be on with us, Dear Hobbit, in just two weeks. Wow, that'll be exciting. Yes, to talk about her exhibit, uh, the exhibit at Scape Galleries, Speak for the Trees, and the um, other place that it is showing, which is the House of Balsamic Academy in Irvine. And that was my little adventure report for last week because Jeannie very graciously said um, Scape Gallery is rather small, so they have some of the exhibits from the artists there. But she said the larger exhibit for Speak for the Trees is actually at the House of Balsam the House of Balsamic Academy in Irvine, and she invited me to go over and have a balsamic tasting. Oh my gosh! You mean balsamic vinegar, that aged vinegar? Yes, and it's so funny because they don't actually call it vinegar, and you know oh. we we call it vinegar, but it, they just they just call it balsamic, and uh, it's it was just amazing. The venue there is beautiful. They have, of course, this large, giant, beautiful kitchen. But they also have several rooms in which they have probably, I don't know, 40 or 50 artists, um, you know, presented with their 
work on Speak for the Trees. And that is going to be going through um, September 5th. And hopefully we'll be talking to the, these folks over at the Art of Balsamic Academy um, maybe shortly after that because I think it would be amazing for our friends to learn about balsamic. I never really thought that much. You know, I buy balsamic vinegar at, you know, Trader Joe's or, you know, I get, you know, try to get some nice and it's so wonderful balsamic vinegar and olive oil with some dipping bread or something. But here I got to taste balsamic vinegar. Uh, They had balsamic vinegar that was, uh, well, there was the six-year-old, the eight-year-old. Then I actually got to taste the 25 and 50-year-old balsamic balsamics. Wow. And just an amazing taste. And you just have like maybe a drop or two. Uh-huh. Uh, but they also had these wonderful little jellies in beautiful presentation. I did not get to try the chocolate with balsamic. So that is something that we will have to look well, forward to I'll before have we to have them on. Make a, uh, <laughs> I'll make a chocolate trip there just to yes. please you. So For anyway, your sake. They, and if you want to have a tasting while you're there, you certainly can. But that is one of the places that the beautiful Speak for the Trees exhibit is going on right now. And I wanted to read, um, I thought we'd spend a little time reading some of J.R. Tolkien's work about trees because right. he was a great lover of trees. This is one of the um, pictures that's over there. Oh, beautiful. And this is beautiful. It actually fills up almost a whole wall, this beautiful picture of the trees. And in case you're in Orange County and you still have opportunity to pick up the August 2011 uh, issue of Coast Magazine uh, celebrating Volume 20, Issue 9, celebrating 20 years. So Coast Magazine has a lovely article But I just want to say a little bit about what it says here because, you know, as a tree lover, I am just a a really big tree lover um, and hope that people begin to become more mindful and aware of the trees around them. Trees not only are so beautiful to look at, they give us shade, they provide oxygen for us, so they're giving, they're always taking in what we don't need anymore and giving us back. Uh, fresh air. Right. Um, they, you know, they give us shade. They give us fruit. The birds have a place to nest. And if you don't have like tall trees where you are, the songbirds they all go in the tall trees. If you have only short trees, you'll notice you won't have very many songbirds in your neighborhood. <clears throat> and a little place for the squirrels, and they're just so beautiful. But this lovely article. Um, I'm just going to read this short little piece here. Please do. Just where people can just maybe kind of sit back and take in some. Take in some trees. It says, trees are the barometer of how we care for the earth. Speak for the Trees is a multi-venue exhibition of the works of over 70 artists whose creations speak out for the needs of trees to flourish in a healthy ecosystem. Picture a mountain of thickly forested treetops in varying green patterns rendered in rich oil paints. Or five different sized canvases braced together, spanning a large area that engulfs the viewer and conveys the wonder of trees in bloom. Symbolic trees combine configuration and abstraction. Abstract trees line up in a regular formation that becomes irregular patterns of individual tree personalities. Conceptual photography in the rich colors of a tropical rainforest captures the natural process of growth through quote, orchestrated chants. Other photographs convey the ethereal patterns of foliage that provide light, air, freshness, and continue solace to the human soul. Artists also sculpt trees, forming an abstracted forest with wire roots and artificial trunks. 
One artist anthropomorphized individual segments of trees and then painted each one silver, gold, or black. By taking fragments out of the fa- out of the familiar, tree parts become like ancient relics, disconnected from their original form and structure. In a separate room, a forest emerges of singular bent metal rods, each set in a metal block. Gravity gracefully sways each rod as their tops write on the nearby wall, recording each movement. Planned or spontaneous forest burnings are common and make for provocative art. Concerned with things disappearing, one artist made rubbings of dead and burned trees with their own charcoal on disposable napkins. The paper installation is pieced together vertically as a memorial to trees that no longer exist. Another artist made sensitive pencil drawings of the burned Angeles Forest. He returned periodically to capture the regrowth of several once lifeless pines. Meticulously and reverently, his fine line drawings pay homage to nature as it continually seeks renewal. Yeah, so that's amazing. Is, that's some of the art and the way that it's represented in uh, in this in these exhibitions. And many of those things I got to see at the um, Art of Balsamic Academy. Again, that's over in... Um, uh, oh, where's my little paper? It's over in Irvine on Mason, and I believe you can... Um, find well you can always google it and uh genie genie denholm you can email her at j d e n h o l m at scapesite.com and all of this kind of came about as a result of a wonderful woman who i'm hoping we can have on our show who lives up in seattle area and uh her name is andrea friesen and she actually made a giant book uh, called Speak for the Trees that has all this beautiful poetry and quotations coupled with artistic renderings of trees. Uh, so she was actually the inspiration for all of these things that are going on down here, helping us to reconnect with our friends, the trees. Uh, so The trees are very important. One of the great things about the movie Avatar by James Cameron... Uh, was the way he treated trees and how central and important trees were to that film. Yes. As trees are central and important to Lord of the the Rings films. Yes. Uh, And and it's so funny how J.R. Tolkien kind of inserts them in such a beautiful way here and there. Um, You know, we have, of course, the, the white tree at the very end of the story of the Lord of the Rings that comes back, you know, to Gondor. And, of course, the ants, the whole the living forest, trees, the yes. living trees, and the, and the forest where, you know, Bom- Tom Bombadil has to rescue the hobbits That's from, from, from yes. being, you know... In the books, in not the in the books. movies. Yeah, not, yeah right. <laughs> um, and, of course, we have the two trees from the original, from the Silmarillion. And um, I would just love it, dear hobbit friend, if you would read to us of some of the professor's work describing the two trees of Valinor. This is from J.R.R. Tolkien's masterpiece, The Silmarillion. The chapter is Of the Beginning of Days, and we read from Professor Tolkien. And when Valinor was full wrought, and the mansions of the Valar were established, in the midst of the plain beyond the mountains they built their city, Valmar of many bells. Before its western gate there was a green mound, Ezelohar, that is named also Corollarily, and Yavanna hallowed it, and she sat there long upon the green grass and sang a song of power, mm-hmm. in which was set all her thoughts of things that grow in the earth. 
But Nienna thought in silence, and watered the mold with tears. In that time the Valar were gathered together to hear the song of Yavanna, and they sat silent upon their thrones of council in the Mahanaxar, the Ring of Doom, near to the golden gates of Valmar, and Yavanna Kementari sang before them, and they watched. And as they watched upon the mound there came forth two slender shoots, and silence was over all the world in that hour, nor was there any other sound save the chanting of Yavanna. Under her song the saplings grew, and became fair and tall, and came to flower, and thus there awoke in the world the two trees of Valinor. Of all things which Yavanna made, they have the most renown, and about their fate all the tells, tales of the elder days are woven. The one had leaves of dark green that beneath were as shining silver, and from each of his countless flowers a dew of silver light was ever falling, and the earth beneath was dappled with the shadows of his fluttering leaves. The other bore leaves of a young green like the new-opened beech. Their edges were of glittering gold. Flowers swung upon her branches in clusters of yellow flame, formed each to a glowing horn that spilled a golden rain upon the ground. And from the blossom of that tree there came forth warmth and a great light. Telperion, the one was called in Valinor, and Silpion, and Ninquelatoi, and many other names. But Lorelin, the other was, and Malindala, and Kalurian, and many names in song beside. In seven hours the glory of each tree waxed to full and waned again to naught, and each awoke once more to life an hour before the other ceased to shine. Thus in Valinor, twice every day there came a gentle hour of softer light, when both trees were faint and their gold and silver beams were mingled. Telperion was the elder of the trees, and came first to full stature and to bloom, and that first hour in which he shone the white glimmer of a silver dawn. The Valar reckoned not into the tale of hours, but named it the opening hour, and counted from it the ages of their reign in Valinor. Therefore at the sixth hour of the first day, and of all the joyful days thereafter, until the darkening of Valinor, Telperion ceased his time of flower, and at the twelfth hour Lorelin her blossoming. And each day of the Valar and Amman contained twelve hours, and ended with the second mingling of the lights, in which Lorelin was waning, but Telperion was waxing. But the light that was spilled from the trees endured long, ere it was taken up into the airs, or sank down into the earth. And the dews of Telperion, and the rain that fell from Lorelin, Varda hoarded in great vats like shining lakes, that were to all the land of the Valar as wells of water and of light." Thus began the days of the bliss of Valinor, and thus began also the count of time. Mm, the count of time. And of course we see that from those two trees come, um, in effect, all of the tales of Middle-earth. <clears throat> because, of, you know, Fionor crafted the Silmarils of the light of the two trees, and... Um, because of Melkor stealing the Silmarils and killing his father, he leads the revolt, the exiles, back to Middle-earth. Right. So that uh, Melkor, and, you know, which is, you know, a very good thing in many ways, because otherwise Melkor would have just been able to um, have had his way with 
with mortals. So in, in, in all the tales are wound around those, those trees. <clears throat> Thank you very much for reading it's, that. It's a tremendous, tremendous passage. And that's, just, that's basically just a page and a half of the Silmarillion. It's unbelievable how much is in there. Oh, amazing. Well, I thought, too, just in honor of the professor and his love of trees, that we would play a little bit of the professor um, and from the two towers where, of course, we are introduced to um, the Ents and uh, Treebeard. And we w- I would play uh, Treebeard, Treebeard's song. And then, so this is the professor himself. Wonderful. With Treebeard's song. This is QCI in Irvine. Treebeard fell silent, striding along, and yet making hardly a sound with his great feet. Then he began to hum again and passed into a murmuring chant. Gradually the hobbits became aware that he was chanting to them. In the willow meads of Tassarina I walked in the spring. Ah, the sight and the smell of the spring in Nandasarion. And I said that was good. I wandered in the summer in the elm woods of Ossirianda. Ah, the light and the music in the summer by the seven rivers of Ossir. And I thought that was best. To the beaches of Nelderet I came in the autumn, ah, the gold and the red and the sighing of leaves in the autumn in Tarn and Eldor. It was more than my desire. To the pine trees of the highland of Dothania I climbed in the winter, ah, the wind and the whiteness and the black branches of winter of an ruin. My voice went up and sang in the sky, and now all those lands lie under the wave, and I walk in Ambarona and in Tauri Morna, in all alone in my own land in the country of Fangorn where the roots are long and the years lie thicker than the leaves in Tar and Marnalome. Is I, I I never Unbelievable. tire of hearing the professor. The best reader way. the best reader by far of Tolkien's work is Professor Tolkien himself. Yes. My gosh. Well, you know, I think I'm going to play one more little song because we have just a few minutes here. And this is the long list of the ints. And I believe that this is uh, taken from when um, he's trying to figure out, he's telling the hobbits he's never, that they've never heard of hobbits. Right. <laughs> he's, he's, he's heard of many, many races and creatures down, uh-huh. the, down the centuries, but never of hobbits. And so this is the long list of those things. And th- again, this is Professor Tolkien from the J.R.R. Tolkien audio collection. And then said, Mary, what's that? But what do you call yourself? What's your real name? Oh, now, replied Tearbeard, oh, now, that will be telling. Not so hasty. But I am doing the asking. You're in my country. What are you, I wonder? I cannot place you. You do not seem to come in the old list that I learned when I was young. That was long, long time ago. And they may have made new lists. Let me see, let me see, how did it go? Learn now the law of living creatures. First name the four, the three peoples. Eldest of all, the elf children. Dwarf the delver, darker his houses. Ent the earthborn, old as mountains. Man the mortal, master of horses. Mm. Mm-hmm. Beaver the builder, buck the leaper, bear be hunter, boar the fighter, hound is hungry, hare is fearful. Mm-hmm. Mm, yes, eagle in eerie, ox in pasture, hart horn crowned, hawk is swift, is swan the white, is certain coldest. 
The hobbits are not mentioned on his very, very long list. You do not seem to fit in anywhere. <laughs> well, my friend, I can't. Don't tell me that time is up already. That time is up, and we have had a great time. And um, as usual, it just it just always flies by. It's I, amazing. So um, this has been what would Arwen do on Tuesday, August the ninth, two thousand eleven. It'll be up on the podcast, again, KUCITalk.org, or in the iTunes store. Just search for Arwen, A-R-W-E-N, and you'll find What Would Arwen Do There as well. And we'll have today's show and last week's show up by tomorrow evening, Wednesday evening. Yes, and I hope that our friends will stay tuned for... Uh, the Serena Sharp Show, and coming up at 6 o'clock... At 6 o'clock tonight... Rachel Ray's Cooking Accident, How Can You Miss It? With Heather McCoy. Unbelievable. Yes. What fun. Good and fun. So, my friend, what can we say to our listeners? To be open to life, to adventures you never know. Take a small Where? chance. Take a small step. Take a little, take a class, go to a renaissance fair, go to, you know, maybe go on a message board. I had never been on a message board before I found Lord of the Rings. And, you know, so that was a whole new experience for me. It increased my typing speed by like three or four times. <laughs> so there are many side benefits to going on adventures. adventures absolutely. <clears throat> and discovering your secret passion and your secret creative gift, because <laughs> I believe that the world is enriched when we bring whatever it is that is our creative expression. And maybe it's just our our masterpiece of our beautiful life that we are creating. There are many possibilities. It may be the children that you're teaching mm. or the fellow human beings that you're helping. There are many, many possible passions. You've got to have a passion for music, a passion for electronics and wanting to make yes. things that work. A passion for a single flower. <laughs> Barbara has been tending this beautiful orchid, and uh, it was just about gone. We thought it was just gone, and then she did a little something, and she moved it to a different room of the house, and now it has these gorgeous, giant orchid blossoms dripping off of it. Isn't that beautiful? Just with a little love and a little attention to where it, what aesthetic environment it thrived best in. <laughs> a little attention to detail, some mindfulness, some willing to take a little bit of a chance. Yes. Have an adventure. Yes. So until next week, Lynn Salalum and Amenti Elfo, and we will say namariye to our friends. And to my friends, thank you for listening, and hopefully you'll listen next week as well. And we'll uh, end with a little a little music from Into the West, sung by my friend Colette Aubrey uh, of Colette Aubrey and the Shanti Soldiers. And I want to thank her very much for recording this we should mention i can't remember the last time we mentioned but this is an academy award-winning best song yes from return of the king so until next week my friend we'll see you then see you then kuci in irvine